The nail in the coffin! Welcome to the Nail in the Coffin. I am Tom Valentino. He is Travis Yuley. It is Tuesday night, and that is significant only because we originally tried to record this on Monday night, but, and here's a pro tip for you aspiring podcast producers and audio engineers out there, it turns out you have to hit the record button if you want the podcast to actually record. So Trav, good evening. Uh, Let's try this again. How are you? Tino, you don't have to tell everyone that we did it yesterday and you didn't record it. A little peek behind the curtain. Okay. All right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. For you, for you kiddos out there, if you want someone else to hear it, you must record it. That is, uh, it's a good rule to live by when you're doing this podcasting thing. So when we parted ways last night after realizing the error of our ways, you were in Philadelphia for work and you were contemplating a trip to uh, a casino nearby. Uh, did you end up venturing out to uh, split some fours and double down on 11? So I did go to the casino, All right. but I only ate dinner. They oh. had a couple restaurants over there, and it looked like a, a decent place to stop. So I went there, walked through. Uh, luck, luckily for my wallet, uh, it's one of those casinos that allows you to smoke. So it's a little bit of a deterrent for me from sitting down. Okay, so I don't, I'm never a big fan of sitting by all the smokers in the in the casino. It just kind of I don't know, it ruins it for me. That throws me every time I go out to Vegas, and and I don't go to Las Vegas with any sort of regularity. But uh, the times that I have gone out there, it, it's been so long since smoking has been allowed in bars here that it's really jarring. And I, Pittsburgh the same way. So uh, what was that? bachelor party that we were there for a couple of years ago now and walked into a bar i said i felt like i was walking into 1989 it was just like a haze of it's bizarre isn't it you forget that it still exists places yeah yeah it uh it, it definitely throws me and it's i don't know it's probably a good thing that we've uh cleaned that up around here but uh anyway um we were uh we were talking about the browns uh playoffs probably going to be out of reach at this point but a uh, a really nice win on Saturday night and uh in Denver and uh you and I actually got to watch that game together which was a, a rarity that was a fun one yeah it was a good time uh went to our buddy's house i uh, had a, had a few uh a few beverages uh, before and after but um yeah it was good to get together and watch one we usually uh watch the games from a distance via text message so um, that was a good change of pace, and they uh, they gave us a hell of an entertaining game to watch. Yeah, so as uh, I, I was saying, I, I think that was the Browns' first win against the Broncos since 1990, and that was a terrible Browns team that actually won in mile high on a Monday night. And that now leaves just two teams in the NFL that the Browns have not beaten since returning in 99 and that would be the let me see if i can guess them let me see if i can guess them the (laughs) eagles and the cowboys yes how did Ah, you know i'm good i am damn good (laughs) it's almost like you've heard the question before too good (laughs) 
No, but, uh, you know, we, we needed some things to go our way on Sunday, and I think there were about five games that were relevant to the Browns' playoff chances, and four of them went the wrong way. Uh, so uh, looking pretty dire as far as making the playoffs go at this point. Uh, but I got to tell you, given where the season, you know, where things have been with this franchise uh, for years and years now and where things started this year and where we were just, you know, 12 months ago, uh, to be at a point right now um, where you're missing out on the playoffs uh, only because you're not getting some things to go your way in some other games, it's a lot more palatable than having control of your destiny in your hands and blowing it. Yeah, we're uh, you're watching ESPN, and we're still technically on that in the hunt, uh, on the in the hunt line. So it's been a long time since we've been able to say that past like week three. Forget week fifteen. We are we're seven days away from Christmas as we record this, and the Browns are still not mathematically eliminated, which is just incredible. And I don't know that I would have thought that would be the case even two months ago. Um, but yeah, I think even the most optimistic probably thought that by now it, it would have sort of been out of reach. So, uh, and the other, even the, even those people that, that passionately took the over to start the season. Yeah. So, you know, the, the other thing that's really cool about this is you look at the games that the Browns have played in the last four or five weeks or so, these have been meaningful games for not just them, but the teams that they're playing. And, you know, you, you've got opponents. I mean, the Falcons at that point were still in the NFC playoff picture. Carolina was still in the NFC playoff picture. Uh, Houston, obviously, they're, they're rolling along in the AFC South. Denver had everything in the world to play for on Saturday night. Um, and, you know, the Browns have more than held their own. And, you know, it's crazy to think about that they're doing that now when it was just three months ago that it was, can they win a game? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I think we knew they were going to win a game because that's it. Last year was fluky enough that it doesn't happen twice, but um, I don't think at the beginning of the season, it would have been crazy for someone to say, yeah, I think they're going to win maybe two games. Um, and it certainly looked like that was possible five weeks ago. Right. So it, it wasn't, I don't know, and it's, it's listen, I I don't want to overblow the fact that they've won six games now and make that out like Super Bowl Super Browns, you know? Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but it was still. Um, I think I'm more impressed with the way that they're playing and the way that they've just completely done a 180 over the last five weeks. Um, in terms of just how they how the sort of the way that they're playing, they're playing far more discipline. They're not making the mistakes that we've been so accustomed to them seeing, uh, both the players and the coaches. Everybody is basically doing, looks like a competent, well-coached, even if they're not the most talented or the best player, they're still playing, you know, pretty close to, you know, to their ability level. So that's, that's encouraging enough. And I think that's sort of why the, uh, the Greg Williams for head coach uh, folks are getting louder and louder by the week. I am astounded that the guy who started the year by telling us that he turned down 11 head coaching job offers 
and was breaking huddles and meetings on camera on hard knocks telling everyone to come get some bitch has been the guy who has turned into the steadying force that this team has taken off under I mean, it's, yeah because he's outrageous. never had he's never had that reputation no no, even I mean, even even when he was, you know, he, he won a Super Bowl with the Saints. And even when he was doing really well and he was a, a well-respected guy, he never really had that reputation as the, uh, you know, the the reasonable voice in the room. I said um, it last night. I'll, I'll reiterate it now. I can't think of a more dramatic turnaround after a midseason head coach firing. You know, they, they look organized. They run things that are playing to their players' strengths. Uh, they're putting their players in position to succeed. I mean, these are things that seem like they would be obvious, but apparently they haven't been because nobody else that's had that job for as long as I can remember with the Browns has been able to do that. Yeah, and we we said it last night, and it, it remains true. We all th- sort of thought that that uh, – that- I, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I got distracted by the Cherubundi Boca Raton ball, and I just saw that one of the worst plays I've ever seen in my life. Um, it ended with a guy recovering a fumble who appears to have a club hand. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just bizarre football. Um, sorry, distracted. Um, we thought we thought on Saturday that that fourth down play was going to be the one that we we're like. All right, now we're back to back to what we sort of expected all along, right? Yes. Um, fourth and one at like the fifteen, they passed up a field goal that would have made it a four point game uh, in hopes of getting a first down and and being able to to lock up the win. Didn't go as planned. Uh, they had the first down after the the guy jumped. Excuse me, the defender jumped off sides. And uh, unfortunately, Greg Williams had called a timeout a good second and a half before that. So it looked like it was going to be one of those situations where like, all right, now we came back down to earth. That's what we expect. That's Greg Williams. And and you can write him off now. Um, He was having none of it. Um, And the defense stepped up huge. And you mentioned it before. I think we said it at the time. My favorite thing about it was that they were able to seal up the win by continuing to do the things that they were doing well they didn't get conservative they didn't you know drop seven guys back and and all that shit that you always see teams do that screws them over right they didn't play any sort of prevent defense they're like all right well we've we stayed in this game by attacking and and getting after him and we're going to keep doing that they timed up a great blitz jabril peppers made a great play at the end um on that fourth down and and that's that's encouraging and while I'm still not totally convinced that I want Greg Williams to be the next head coach, the next permanent head coach, I'm not sure I'd be that mad about it if he was. And if you told me that a couple of weeks ago, I would have said you're crazy. Yeah, that that's the thing. I, I think like you, I've been waiting for there to come a point where the momentum for Greg Williams keeping this job permanently would stall out. And it just hasn't happened. You know, I, I really thought it might have that, that we might have hit that crossroads moment with the timeout at, at the end of that, you know, at that sequence on, on fourth down there in the fourth quarter on Saturday. And, you know, everybody in, in the room where we were watching kind of freaked out and I didn't want to say anything, but I, I was thinking like, well, 
we know how this is going to go. There, there's only one way this can go, and it's not going to be good. But, uh, yeah, it, exactly like you said, it, uh, sticking with what works and, and continuing to put pressure on defensively, um, it was it was fantastic to watch. Is it fair to say that as of that play Saturday and them and them turning around sort of I don't know if I want to call it a mistake, but they didn't get that first down and they gave them the ball back when they maybe should have taken the points. Same old Browns would have lost that game, right? We've seen that 100%. a million times and those types of things always end up the same way with the Browns losing. Is it safe to say that they are officially not the same old Browns? <laughs> Boy, that's a dangerous statement to make. Isn't, isn't it? it? But it you feels want, like you, it. You want to say that so badly. Um, I, I want to say let's that be honest, so badly. We're, all, we're Browns fans, so we know better. Like right. we're, we're scared of saying that. But no one thinks that this looks like the team that we're used to. Nobody. I can't think of many iterations of the Browns in the last 20 years that would have overcome that in that situation. Right, exactly. And and yeah, we're we're hesitant to sort of say this is they've they've officially turned the corner because they're still just they still only have six wins and they're not it's incredibly unlikely that they make the playoffs and and all that stuff, but they're looking like a team that there's a difference between winning games and knowing how to win. They look like they know how to win, and that's almost more important. I mean, you can you can back your way into games, right, by another team screwing up and doing something for you. The Browns look like they're the team that they know if they do what they're supposed to do, they'll win. They're not counting on other teams to give it to them. And in that's the past, profound. that hasn't been the case. It's very profound. Yeah, I'm getting real deep here. Uh, <laughs> I was I've been thinking about this since last night. Well, you know, just big picture. You you think about the amount of progress the Browns have made in the last 365 days plus. You've got a, a competent GM in place. You had what, by all measures, seems like a very successful draft. You've you've got the quarterback now. Uh, you got your fan base re-energized to start the year with hard knocks in. I think there was some concern about that being a distraction going in, and in retrospect. Uh, it turned out to be a phenomenal thing at, at regenerating some interest in the team and, and pulling some people back in that had kind of waned in recent years. And I'll be the first one to stand in line and say that was me. Um, and the ironic part is the vast majority of the guys who dominated the storylines on that and got everybody drawn back <laughs> into the franchise are nowhere to be found now. Not, ex not exactly part of the conversation anymore. But, uh, you know, you've not only cemented the quarterback on this roster, but you've really got a whole core of players to build around. Um, I was thinking about this today. You know, When the Browns renovated First Energy Stadium, was that about three or four years ago? When they finished the renovations, they started hanging banners along the exterior on the north and south side of the stadium. And it was, you know, team mottos and players. And to did show you, come, this, did come get some bitch, make it up there. That one might have been on the other side of the stadium. I did not walk. Oh, around that was there, that was left on the cutting room floor, probably. Might have been. Might have been. Um, 
If they added a couple more banners on the dog pound end, maybe it would have shown up there. But nevertheless, they had players up on a lot of these banners. And the state of the franchise at that point, they didn't have a single skill position player who was good enough to actually get one of those spots. It was all uh, linemen and logos. And it it's incredible to think that you've gone from that to the group that we've got now when you're looking at Baker and Chubb and uh, Denzel Ward, Miles Garrett, um, and, you know, a whole bunch of complimentary guys on top of that. Um, and, you know, all of this, it's building to a position where you are now, um, I would say, an extremely advantageous position to be in for a coaching search. Um, I know a lot of people are lamenting not getting rid of Hugh after last season, and I don't want to relitigate Hugh Jackson again. I, I, I This is not about him. Um, you know, after last season, I, getting rid of him would have been justified. But, I mean, let's be honest, uh, for all the strides the Browns have made this year, they were not, they're not going to the Super Bowl, and they were never going to be going to the Super Bowl this year. Um, you know, this year was about uh, getting from point A to point B, and point B is, you know, making yourself a relevant franchise again. And they've accomplished that. And with the way things have played out the way that they have, the candidates that they're going to be looking at come January are going to be immensely better uh, than they would have had to pick from last winter, right? Oh yeah, yeah. That's actually that's actually a good point. I hadn't even really thought of that angle because um, they're going to be I don't know probably top two or three job absolutely um, that's open and there's not it's it's not like. Yeah, head coaching jobs in the NFL are very hard to come by. Obviously, there's only 32 of them, and and when they open, guys want them. But coaches are a lot more strategic about it now. They don't just take a job because it's a head coaching job. And there's a lot of candidates available, but not necessarily a ton of great candidates. So the fact that they had this season to sort of show all this progress and then go out and, and sort of find that guy is huge because doing another one or two years with a sort of a lame duck coach who isn't getting it done and, you know, starting the, the cycle over again, I think would have, would have, I don't know. We've, we've seen it too many times, right? We know how the result goes and it's hard to say if, yeah, maybe Baker is the guy and he's that good and that cycle ends regardless, but the way that it worked out, feels like i don't know it, it it feels like people always discourage firing a coach mid-season and it seems like it is maybe a best case like the best decision they could have made yeah absolutely and i think as this coaching search begins you know and more things could be uh un, you know revealed and, and more cards could be turned over so to speak over these next two games to close out the season. And we might get a little bit more clarity about the current staff. But, you know, I, I think the first question you have to answer if you're the front office is how much of the turnaround this season is because of Greg and and this staff and how much of it is not having Hugh Jackson and, and uh, Todd Haley in the building anymore. It, it, could anybody have come in who was reasonably competent 
and gotten the Browns to where they are, or have they kind of fallen bass backwards into really having, you know, lightning in a bottle with this group that they have now? Right. And that's sort of hard to say because I, I don't know that, I don't know that you can look at this roster and say that they're really that good, that no matter who the coach is, they would have been, you know, right in the thick of things. Maybe, and maybe Baker is that good. We'll find out. He certainly looks, obviously, he certainly looks very good so far. Um, but I don't know. It's, it's, what do you, what do you, do you want him to keep Greg Williams? I'll just, I'll just ask you straight out. What do you want him to do about this? Man, I don't know. <laughs> and I think I hit you with that question last night. And, and I don't yeah, I didn't you like you hit me with it. So I gave it back to you. <laughs> I beat you to it tonight. <laughs> Damn it, you get it. The one we're actually recording. I was ready. I was ready. Well, here's the thing I, I keep coming back to is let's say the Browns stumble out of the blocks next year and go one and two or one and three in their first few games in September. Would you be more bothered by them retaining the current staff as is and not getting the best external candidate when the desirability of your head coaching position has never been higher? Or would you be more upset to see the Browns take a shot on someone else, have that new coaching staff struggle out of the gate, and then find yourself lamenting the fact that you had a staff in place that showed it could be successful and you let them walk? Well, I mean, that's that's sort of a – either way, if, they're, if they come out really slow next year, you're going to say they made the wrong decision. So I don't know that there's I don't know if there's a right answer to which one's worse. Um, I don't know. I guess I don't. It'll depend to me a lot on who the candidates really are, um, and and what sort of guys they can really get for the job. I'm not so sure that like I don't know. Do we keep hearing like Bruce Arians' name thrown out there? And I don't know if I I don't know if I like that or not. Honestly, um, it it. it <sighs> I haven't heard a name that really like wowed me. Like, yeah, I'd love to have that guy. Um, I feel like that, that, that the fact that that's the case almost tells me maybe they do just need to stick with this for another year. I feel like a lot of the momentum for Bruce Arians is because he has ties to Freddie kitchens and everybody loves Freddie kitchens because of how he's revitalized the offense. And, and it's also are... sort of the, the Hugh Jackson thing where Arians has said he would like to coach Cleveland. Yeah, that's Cleveland something. Cleveland loves people that love Cleveland. <laughs> that's true. Um, I just I think people have been doing a lot of mental gymnastics over the last few weeks trying to figure out a scenario in which we could bring in an exciting candidate from outside the organization and still keep Freddie Kitchens. And everybody seems to wrinkle their nose at the idea of forcing Kitchens onto a another head coach and dictating to a head coach, you, if you take this job, you have to have this guy as your offensive coordinator because I think everybody understands the inherent danger of, of doing that. Um, I, Do we think – I'll throw the other one out there because a lot of people have floated this idea, and I don't think in a million years he'd accept it. Um is there any chance Greg Williams stays next year as a defensive coordinator? I don't think so. I wouldn't I, I, think so either. After what he did this year, he said, you're going to demote me? Like, no. 
right i'll go get a job somewhere else i was gonna say i i don't think he would necessarily end up getting a head coaching job somewhere else maybe not a head coaching I job think, but he'll i get, think he'd rather he'd, take he'd rather a just go to a dc job again probably somewhere, somewhere else. else yeah it, it would just be a weird dynamic all of a sudden if he was the head guy for a few months and then all of a sudden he wasn't to all those players i think that would that would complicate things a little bit and for him it would almost be a slap in the face like I let's be honest. He's he's earned the job. Doesn't mean he's the best candidate or that they have to give it to him. But if this was truly a audition for the job, you can't really make the argument that he hasn't passed it. Now, I, I agree with you on that. Um, I, I could just tell you from personal experience, having been in a position where I was part of a staff and got promoted up to being uh, an interim manager and then stepping back down when somebody from outside of the organization was brought in to take that position permanently. It didn't really work out well for anybody involved. So my opinion on that arrangement is probably a little bit skewed. And I think, I think, I think everyone understands that too. I think, yeah, I think a coach coming in would not feel, even if he loved Greg Williams and would have loved to have Greg Williams will understand like, yeah, I don't really see that working. Yeah. One thing I, I wanted to make a point of saying, though, and just something to keep in mind is how volatile coaches' stock can be. Uh, you know, John Filippo was like the coordinator yeah. du jour that everybody was pumping up, this offensive genius yeah. who is going to be like the most sought-after or one of the most sought-after candidates for a head coaching position in the offseason, surefire uh, head coaching candidate. He just got fired as the Vikings' offensive coordinator, and in their first game without him, they put up 41 points. You know, on the college level, uh, you know, I, for months I heard people singing the praises of the Michigan defensive coordinator, and you know they're going out of their way to come up with different awards that they could pencil him in for. And then Ohio State went and hung 62 on him. Um, yeah, that was but, fun. <laughs> it sure was. That was, a, that was a lot of fun. That was a great day. Um, my point in all this, and just kind of bringing this back to Freddie Kitchens, is you know he's getting a lot of love right now, and don't get me wrong, he should. He's done a phenomenal job, but be careful. And, and the reason I say that is I think he's had an advantage of taking over the offense and bringing new ideas to the table at a time of the year when most teams around the league have become familiar with each other, they've scouted each other, they know what everybody's going to be doing, everybody knows each other's stuff, and you're at a point now where the more games the Browns play, the more tape other teams are going to have on this current regime. And um, you know, none of this is to say that Freddie Kitchens is some flesh in the pan. I don't necessarily think that. What I am saying, though, is it's, there's going to come a point where teams are going to have a book on him and it's going to be on him and this offense to keep reinventing itself and keep getting creative and keep coming up with new things. Yeah, and I, I think there's also sort of a um, sort of a feeling that he's sort of he's been coaching like he's got nothing to lose, right? He's not coaching with there's no real pressure on him right now. He can just coach away, right? He can just go for broke and whatever happens happens. Um, and that's obviously worked out. I think when you have the job permanently, that that sort of shifts a little bit, and you don't want really want it to, right? You want the guy to keep coaching the way that that got him the job in the first place, but it does, it changes, and 
I don't know that you can always take a whole lot from um from from a situation like this. You kind of don't really know for sure if that's the, the the true product that you're getting or if it'll maybe change when he does get that job. Yeah. And the other thing, the, the last real point that I wanted to make is we kind of look ahead to these last two games um, is the fact that, you know, I, I think from a motivation standpoint, you know, there, there are a lot of times when you bring an interim head coach in, it's a substitute teacher situation because, I mean, the season's pretty much chalked up as a lost cause. And that's been the one thing that they've not really had to deal with here because the Browns have, you know, after getting themselves a couple of wins early on after the coaching change, have kind of put themselves into the fringe of the playoff discussion and they've had something to play for. And it's been, you know, like I said earlier, really exciting to see them come through and, and actually play well when with some real stakes. I'm curious to see now that they're probably out of the playoffs, not mathematically yet, although even with a win on Sunday, they could still get knocked out this weekend. Um, you know, what are they going to look like over these last two games? Are, are they going to be able to keep the focus? Is this coaching staff going to be able to keep everybody fired up, finish strong? I, I think getting to stick it to Hugh one more time uh, this coming Sunday against Cincinnati uh, will certainly uh, keep everybody motivated to a certain degree, although maybe not quite uh, to the level of that first meeting a, a few weeks ago. Um and then Baltimore is another one, a division rival. So hopefully that'll help. But I will be interested to see how the team comes out and, and how they look and, and what the interest level is and what the attention to detail and, and the level of motivation is over these last couple of games. Yeah, no, it's it's going to be fun no matter what. I think, and we mentioned this yesterday. Um, I don't know why I keep saying that because – People know that. Trust us, it <laughs> happened. I'm telling you. It's true. It's damn true. Um, the next, it's it's sort of a shame that um, the season is ending in two weeks because there's so much momentum and so much progress has been made. You don't want it to stop. You don't want them to slow down at all. Um, it's the first time in a long time that we're not talking draft. I looked at a draft board the other day and they had like the top 10 picks and I'm even now that I know we have six wins, right? I'm still thinking, yeah, we're probably somewhere there in the top 10. We're not even close to, I think we were at like 16. Um, So we're not talking draft. Um, The off season is going to feel like it takes forever because we're just going to be chomping at the bit for next season to start. Right. So that's, that's an exciting feeling regardless of what happens the next two games. um, It's, it's as good a position as we've been in, in, I don't know, probably since they came back, even the playoff teams, I don't know, this feels more, it feels more legitimate to me that. Sustainable. Exactly. That's, that's exactly the word I'm looking for. This seems like it's the beginning of what should be a fairly long run of, of decently successful teams as opposed to they had a good season. Let's see what they come up with next, next year. I will tell you that I, I saw something. It's crazy that just given how tightly so many teams in the league are, are bunched together in the middle of the pack, depending on how things go over these final two weeks of the regular season, the Browns could end up drafting anywhere from sixth overall to 20th. So there, there's a huge range there. Um, but that said, 
I still want wins. Like, yeah. I, I'm, a, and I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm done with the whole tanking for draft position thing. And I think a lot of fans are in the same boat and, and it's a good feeling. And I think having a general manager who you have some confidence in that no matter where you're putting him in the draft, you feel like, Hey, this guy could go get me somebody who can play. Uh, that's a good feeling. And, and we don't have to necessarily tank as much as possible for the, the best possible pick next year. And there's some value in going out and playing hard and trying to win games and actually doing it. Yeah. I've I'm, I, I like, I actually, I obviously watch a lot of college football and I, I like the draft because I love seeing those guys um, from college, seeing how they translate all that sort of shit. And as a Browns fan, we're always near the top. And that always excites me because I'm like, okay, they got this guy who I've seen him play. He's really good. And I'm excited to get him. Um, unless it's Johnny Mansell. Um, <laughs> this year, it it's hard to argue that from like a tangible standpoint that winning really helps the Browns. But, and I, I'm one of those guys who honestly thinks culture is kind of overblown. I feel like people just throw it out all the time to explain things that they can't otherwise put a good reason to. <laughs> um, but I do think that getting continuing to build on this and continuing to sort of reinforce those habits that that make okay teams good and good teams really good i think those are things that you need to keep building on you can't you can't sort of sacrifice those things in the name of you know five or six slots on a draft board yeah no time to take your foot off the gas now Exactly. There's too much good stuff going on right now to start messing around because you want a good draft pick. I'm with you. All right. Any other thoughts on the Browns? Eh, Not really. No, I think that about covers it. I think we're it's weird because it feels like we're almost doing a season post postmortem and there's two weeks left and they're still technically in the playoff hunt. But um for the record, if you're not aware, people, there's a whole bunch of weird things that need to happen. And the last one is that the Titans and the Colts need to tie in week 17. So given um, where this season started, that would be a fitting way for it to end. <laughs> wouldn't it? <laughs> wouldn't it? The Titans still, I still think the Colts and Titans owe us for, what was it, 2007? Yeah. Um, it's bastards. Yeah, I, uh, I will say, I will remind you that it may feel a little premature to be doing kind of a season wrap up type of a podcast on the Browns, but in all fairness, in this is the latest that the season's been over in a long time by far, (laughs) (laughs) by a lot. (laughs) Yeah. By like two holidays. That's right. (laughs) So, all right. uh, I think that's a good place to close up shop. What do you say? Sounds good. Take it home. All right. We are on Apple podcasts. Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and the TuneIn app. You can also stream us on waitingfornextyear.com. We are going to be back, I do believe, next week, talking about uh, the big college bowl games. Got the Buckeyes in the Rose Bowl. We got the uh, the college football playoff semifinals. We're going to recap this Cherubundi Bowl, too. Yeah. I've got to break it down for you. I, I'm... And, anxiously anticipating uh, getting a full recap on that because i have not had that on in the background Did you, over here. do you know what cherubundi is no idea apparently it's some sort of juice i didn't know until they ran these commercials during this game but apparently it's some sort of beverage that has a bunch of antioxidants in it which makes perfect sense that it's in boca raton 
you could have told me that it was about 150 different things and I would have you had would have said, yeah, okay. No, I, I, I would have bought it hook, line, and sinker. So you yeah. could be completely bullshitting me right now, and I'd have I no bu- idea otherwise. I bullshit you not. It is, a, it is some sort of beverage. That's all I know. There is a suburb of Chicago that bought the sponsorship for another bowl game that, um, like, Elk Grove Village. It, 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 yeah, it... I can't remember what it's called. I, I will make sure I'm going to go look this up after we get done recording and I'll mention it next week uh, when we record. But yeah, like their chamber of commerce bought the sponsorship for an, a bowl out of state trying to get businesses to, to come to their uh, city to, to do business there. It's huh. one of the most bizarre bowl sponsorships in a very, very long line of them. So that's wild shit. Anyway, sorry to interrupt you. Continue. No, that uh, I think that's a, a good place to stop. So for Travis Yuley, I am Tom Valentino. This has been The Nail in the Coffin, and we will talk to you again next week. Running should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go. And yet, when you try to learn about how to get better at it, especially as you age... You're confronted with conflicting advice, complicated workouts, and confusing nutrition trends that just won't work for you. On The Planted Runner, I'll share exactly how to run faster, longer, and feel great doing it at any age because you don't have time to waste. I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and I went from not running at all in my late 30s to finishing a marathon in 2.58 at age 42, all on a plant-based diet. I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-backed training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals you never thought possible. Whether you're training for your first 5K or your 50th marathon, take along the planted runner on your next run. Let me show you how your best running is still ahead of you.